A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Alexa Westlake, Senior Data Analyst at Okta. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views. So some key takeaways and thoughts from Alexa's point of view. Number one, data can be transformational, but it's expensive to do the work. You know, quote unquote, without data literacy, all your analytics is, is expensive. So do the data literacy work to make your data work actually valuable. (laughs) Number two, potentially controversial, don't focus your transformation initiatives around a negative. Focus on a goal or aspiration. It is hard to maintain momentum around pain, especially as that pain starts to ease with some early wins. While pain points can kind of peak attention, Shared goals and collective outcomes will keep people bought in and motivated. Number three, also potentially controversial, data is, quote unquote, not going to make or break you. You know, she added in every case <laughs> when we talked a little bit later about it. But, you know, it data is not going to make or break you. It is there to help you be better. It is help. It is there to help you unlock your full potential. So use data to sharpen your competitive advantage, but it's not that everything has to be completely data-driven and that if you're not 100% data-driven, you're going away and all that uh, kind of goofy stuff that some people like to say. Number four, as you scale your organization, if you do not prioritize data, you know, the way you manage the people, processes, and tech around data, you will generate a ton of friction. It will create what Alexa called a feedback loop of pain. 
Number five, quote unquote, never jump and hope, right? You need to make sure you have the support to get your initiatives going and then maintain momentum. Number six, I think this one's really important. Data work is often not the number one priority for the stakeholders you serve, the people that you're talking to. Understand that and keep close enough to them to make sure you are working on analytics to support their type priorities. And they will also, you know, kind of or should quid pro quo and help you in your stuff as well to get the, the data out of them as well. Number seven, alignment is one of the hardest things to do organizationally and is far more crucial in data work than most believe. I think that's a through line of so many of these episodes. So be prepared to repeat yourself repeatedly. Number eight, the sunk cost fallacy very often results in throwing good money after bad in data, especially on that platform work. Look for signs you need to shift when the investment rises and the return continues to fall. Number nine, people, especially in analytics-related initiatives, often don't know exactly kind of where the pain is coming from. Work with them to understand their pain, but that the data team and or data work is not some magic wand that is waved and it's all better, that the pain just goes away. This is tough but valuable work. Number 10, It can be hard to get executive sponsorship to generate new data explicitly for analytics, but not doing that results in only analyzing the information you already have. So how can we incorporate additional incremental information capture into part of the business processes? What data is valuable and reasonable and ethical to generate and capture? Number 11, get more specific when talking about data quality, quote unquote, the data is bad. It's, it's essentially meaningless. Really drive towards specifics and then get people on the same page on measurement, monitoring of quality. Number 12, it's easy to focus on the data you have instead of the insights you can generate. When talking to business stakeholders, how often do they care about the data versus what it actually means? Focus on communicating in what matters, not the speeds and feeds aspects of data. I know so many people in data like the cool toys and like all the cool things that we can do with it, but it's not what matters to most people. Number 13, a lot of data tech debt slash challenges in data come from decision makers not understanding their internal data ecosystems. You know, adding urgency to that often results in band-aid solutions that degrade quickly. So when you are engaging with stakeholders, try to share a little bit about what is the knock-on effects. You know, everybody only kind of thinks about what's the third first order effect, but look into kind of second order and third order effects of what is this going to actually do to our internal ways of working and, and is this going to be supportable? Number 14, you can't turn the ship too quickly. Trying to bet all your data transformation on one aspect or a big bang won't work. Look for small wins to build momentum and build that kind of turning momentum. Number 15, it's pretty easy to burn out your data team. Make sure to give them interesting, important, and valued work. 
Finally, number 16, communicate with the business about what matters. As a data person, that usually means more listening than speaking. So you can figure out what matters to them. You know, an applicable phrase that I use to vendors, no one cares what you want to tell them. They care about what they want to hear about, right? Figure that out. What do they care about? How can you flip things from what do you want out of them versus how can we make this mutually beneficial? So much of my community work, I say, is about creating mutually beneficial situations because then people really want to engage with you if you're going to benefit them. That also benefits you know, the greater group of the community. So look for ways to do that. Easier said than done. But I think uh, you'll get a lot out of this kind of fun conversation I had with Alexa. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Alexa Westlake here, who's the Senior Data Analyst at Okta. I do want to be clear, though, that she is representing only her own views uh, within when we talk about things in this podcast. But we're going to be talking about a lot of different kind of things. But, you know, one reason I wanted to have Alexa on is that she's got a really interesting kind of perspective on a lot of the different things where it's putting together a lot of these through lines that have been through a lot of the episodes. When we were talking, there was a lot of things about, um, you know, kind of let's pop up to a higher level. Let's make sure we're, we're working on these things because it's very easy to get too far down in the weeds. So we're going to talk about like data mesh and how you can avoid the infrastructure tech debt or that you're taking it on and that you have to be aware that you're taking that on and that you will have to pay down that tech debt in the future or keep paying interest on it. Like how things are are measured quarterly. How do we actually get to the <laughs> proving some results or proving some value within that quarterly cycle and that we don't just lose people's interests and in funding? Um, you know, a, a lot of different things above like where these initiatives like Data Mesh can kind of create a hot flash of boom, like this is really exciting. And then if it doesn't end up having that ROI, are those people that were kind of evangelizing it burned, you know, some fears of execs. Like I said, we're going to talk about a bajillion different things. It's going to be very exciting, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll work to, to make it a, a overall conversation. But before we jump into that, Alexa, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott, for having me on. I'm really thrilled to be here on your show today. Uh, I'm calling in from Pacifica, California, which is just south of San Francisco, uh, well known for the Taco Bell on the beach, if you are from the Bay Area. Um, I have lived in the Silicon Valley my whole life, uh, only leaving for college, but uh, I've spent my whole career in data. You know, I've worked at giant enterprises. I've worked at medium-sized companies um, and high-growth startups alike. 
I have been the sole analyst in my domain, and I have been uh, a data product manager, and I have been one of a data team of 50 people. So um, I like to say to people that I meet that I am a data generalist. Um, I, I really love storytelling with numbers. I love being the person in the room that uh, you can call on for insights and uh, help proving points that eventually make the business money. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm so happy to be here today. I'm happy to talk about Data Mesh. It's been something near and dear to my whole career. Yeah, awesome. So um, yeah, I think with that background, especially of being kind of, like you said, embedded into a domain versus a big uh, kind of data team and, and all of that, um, why don't we start with that kind of infrastructure tech debt side? Like, you know, right now we have people that are looking at data mesh or early in data mesh and, you know, kind of Jamak has talked about this. I've talked about this. The tools aren't where, <laughs> in a lot of cases, aren't where we need them to be in the long run. But you, if you're going to get moving now, you have to, <laughs> you can't just have, uh, you know, um, what, like bubble gum and uh, shoestring or whatever. Yeah. You can't. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, how how are you looking, or how would you think about talking to people about limiting that future tech debt? Right? Is it that yeah. you you know you completely abstract away from everything, and then you don't leverage any of the features? Is it oh everything has to be completely plug and play and modular, and nothing can be yeah. relied on? Or <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a really careful balance. I I think it's funny because people kind of fall in two camps, right? You ask them, what do you think of data? And people will say, you know, data is absolutely transformational. It is key to all of the decisions we make. We couldn't do our business without it. And then you have people that would say, you know, well, data is expensive. And, and both of them are right. And, and there, there's definitely a really careful balance because we see millions of dollars spent on data solutions and on technology to power our data products and our data solutions, yet we're still struggling with scale everywhere in the industry. I, I think that especially when you look at uh, companies that are trying to measure, you know, what's our data transformation like, you know, are we data literate? We're, we're failing on the really important metrics because of the you know, magnitude of the problem. I think that a lot of the times, um, you know, investments in tech to help ameliorate the data solution comes from a need of a specific domain. And most of the time, the need is chalked up to bad data, which is such a blanket term. It's like, you know, our data is bad. Our data is bad. We can blame thing on things on the data, but really what we mean are we don't have the processes in place to make sure that we're collecting data at the right time. We don't have the people with the expertise to know how to uh, transform and analyze that data that we have. You know, we don't have the giant machine that we need to run our data problem product and platform within our organization. And I think that, you know, localizing that is really hard. Finding out where the pain is and where to apply a solution is really, really difficult to do at scale, especially as you have so many problems 
bubbling up and there's constantly new issues that people need to answer with data. I don't think the problem is a lack of, you know, use cases and demand for data. It's the management uh, that comes with both data architecture and organization. Yeah, I, I, I think that tech debt builds up because it is everyone's problem. And when it's everyone's problem, it's no one's problem at all. No one wants to pick that up. Yeah, and, and I think what you're talking about is something Jamak has talked about a, a lot as well, especially in her early presentations of the promise of big data was that you could unlock all of these things. And then yep. the actual handling of it, right? It's like, oh, uh, you know, having pets or, or anything like that, where you're like, oh, I get to have this awesome, you know, uh, friend yeah. in, in my house. They love me and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, yeah, but, you know, as a dog owner, okay. Uh, you know, she wants to run absolutely everywhere and crash into everything and you have to pick up after them and feed them and groom them. And so like, yeah. And I think what you were talking about as well is one in data architecture, I don't think we spend enough time listening to the actual challenges versus, oh, this will solve it. I'm going to, I'm going to solve the problem with the tech and also popping up to a higher level. So like when you're thinking about though, people are moving forward now. So how, how would you be talking to them about this of from what you've seen, you know, (laughs) the good and the bad about people are moving forward now, they have to, to get something in place. Do they have to build everything absolutely themselves or can they go out and buy this stuff with a plan to replace it or with a plan that they talk to the vendors and say, no, you re- really need to evolve this in the right way. <laughs> like, yeah. how, how would you do that if somebody's itching to get going right now? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that they're, uh, the question's obviously very personal to whatever business and kind of whatever business model you have. But really, if you're looking at it as let's solve this problem, you know, we could either look at the data we have today and try to use what we've got today. And I think in a lot of situations, startups uh, are very lean. We don't have the money to go out and spend the money and the time to create new data. That, that's such a scary uh, thing to try to get a executive sponsor to sign on for, you know, hey, let's just make sure that we're using our data the best we can today. Well, you know, we make the best decisions that we can at the time of the information that we have it. So a lot of people spend a lot of time in cycles, you know, arguing about why what was done in the past is important to keep. And, you know, why all of the work that we've done to build this up is already been this huge time investment. You know, we have all of these systems that cost a ton of money. We have all of these people we've hired to run these systems. We are not going to re-legislate everything that we're doing today to be able to potentially get better data in the future. And so I think that the question really, like, you tackle it along, you know, organizational issues, and then you also tackle it along, uh, you know, the actual tech that those domains own. So for example, you know, we've invested in all these really expensive platforms. Therefore, we need to continue to work on scaling out those platforms. When in reality, 
we have new information now. You know, like Neo4j wasn't a thing until 2010. There are so, so many new technologies and a huge paradigm shift of organizational structure, people, processes that we can leverage the new innovative insights that we have around organizational data management. Well, I was going to say, do you think that um, that then begets the kind of data product sprawl, though, of or the, the data vendor tooling sprawl of, hey, we can... Can, can we fix it with what we've got versus do we need to bring something in um, no, yeah, versus do we have to? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's just hard because the, the existing tools are focused around fixing the pipeline problem. They are around taking data, lifting it and moving it somewhere else to be able to then do something with it, to lift it and move it somewhere else. And, you know, you've got, 60 different pipelines feeding into an ML model. Of course, the ML model degrades over time. You have, and, and, and there's so many companies, you know, that have to play this game of like, how many data engineers do I really need to be able to sufficiently fill all of these tickets from my stakeholders? And when in reality, like, if we just had a better mechanism for figuring out what the priorities were for the business and being able to communicate that to the people who are able to have the skills to actually work the data pipelines and you know be the engineers behind the product then we wouldn't be stuck in this constant cycle i think you know a lot of the times when it comes to data the people who are making decisions don't have a very good grasp on the ecosystem. They don't understand the problem at hand because they just want better insights. They see the tip of the iceberg uh, is a, a way to kind of put it. And, you know, they, they want to do something. They want to make the investment, whether that is I'm going to hire a team, I'm going to buy a thing, I'm going to do something to prove to other leaders that I can hit this KPI and make progress on building out our data ecosystem. It, it, it is about trying to solve a problem as quickly as we can when the reason we've gotten into this mess is because we built all of these solutions to solve symptoms rather than the problem. You know, a lot of times consultants talk about the tree versus the forest. And I, I think a lot of times, you know, those uh, analogies get, they degrade fast in conversation, but I like that one a lot because it, it's very true. You know, the problem of marketing data is not a marketing problem. It is a data problem that most other domains probably have the exact same issue. I, I even think a lot of people get focused on the leaf not even the tree, <laughs> they're, they're, they're down there. But I really like what you were saying there about the, there's like this urgency. And I think this transitions well into talking about that kind of, or that urgency and that kind of, we have to do something now instead of we have to do the thing to save it. And it's like, yes, if you think about somebody drowning, yes, you mm -hmm. want to save them now. But if you think about, you know, somebody's got high blood pressure. Are you going in and immediately like trying to like bloodlet them or whatever? I don't know how you would immediately help somebody with high blood pressure versus like, hey, let's work on your diet and exercise. And like, let's, let's address that as a long term health issue. And let's talk about 
the you talked about symptoms versus you know actual kind of causes yeah. and and thinking about the big picture so like in a world where we are so so focused on urgency it's not that we can really change that right we can't no. say no. hey business you you no longer get to focus on a yeah. quarterly cadence especially public no. businesses so like how are you working within that to get people to be a little bit more reasonable and rational about the the long run or how, how have you seen that work well? Yeah, no, I, I completely, completely get what you're saying, but I, I think that it works well when you can have a good, it's like a relationship with the customer. You have to think of the people that you support around your organization as your customers. Like, yes, you technically, they cannot opt out and leave, However, you need to provide them small wins and incentives. And even if that's not like the fancy insight, even if that is enabling foundational reporting within their domain, even if that is helping their domain specific analysts or, you know, whatever you call those data people learn how to use data from other domains, like I, I think a lot of the times those small wins are there as long as you can have the back and forth conversation of what are your priorities and how do I support you? And I think a lot of the times that's it's very necessary for data to exist as its own arm, even in smaller organizations, because there is no person that's going to hold all of the single source of truth. Like we don't live in a canonical world. It's changing all the time. Therefore, we need a system that can account for that and make sure that it's built to scale regardless of whether the your quote unquote data person left. Yeah, I think that especially that uh, canonical world thing, this is something where the single source of truth and the like, it's like, our data we're trying to reflect, like in software systems, we're trying to interact with the world as the world is changing. And within data, we've kind of pretended that the world doesn't change. And yep. so like, we're so focused on sharing exactly the same thing in the exactly the same way, even if it no longer measures what's what's valuable or useful. And a lot of what you're talking about, I think is as well, the sunk cost fallacy of like, yes we have done this and therefore we should continue to do this, but you have to balance that with, with disruption, right? Like you can't just absolutely be disrupting everything all the time. There is good enough for now. There is, we made progress. We can move on to something else. You know, our priorities have changed and things like that. But like, what have you seen that's really worked well to get people to focus on the actual, like, focus on the long-term, focus on the ROI? Or do you think we're still in a world where we haven't seen that in data? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to kind of give me one of the key foundational things of how do we solve data because I haven't seen it anywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, how, do we, really? how do we think about that versus like, we, this would be nice if we could do this because it makes the most sense. But like, have you seen anything that's worked? Is it just that kind of build on those small wins, like break it down, break it down, break it down. And so that you're not trying to bite off, you're not trying to, you know, eat the elephant, you're, you're thin slicing and things like that. What, what have you seen that you think is working or, or maybe, you know, what are some anti-patterns that you tell people to avoid from seeing a lot of those? <laughs> I, I think that like, 
uh, in terms of anti pat like we almost want to go toward if if we're looking at like the opposite of small slices and we're just looking at full disruption like say we take the full self service completely distributed immediately let's completely change everything we do about our data right now it, you're going to see adverse effects when we have self service without uh guardrails and i think in a lot of ways like even if you're if you're going to make a big step you have to make small steps first you know you have to earn your talking uh i guess you have to earn your leash right you have to earn your ability to go out and take on these big projects otherwise you're going to see uh a lot of pain i think that if you if you revolve your transformational project around pain points, it becomes hard to make that last. Like no one wants to have someone in the room telling them everything you're doing is wrong all the time. No one wants to tell, like have the data doomsday prepper of if we don't do this, we're not going to be able to execute on our opportunity at hand. I I think that it has to be a handhold of both this is the motivation behind why we're doing this, but also here are the results. And I think that in a lot of ways, the quarterly results that you prove shouldn't be those metrics that you're tracked over long term because you need to be able to have what you're looking at quarterly be your relationships. The relationships should power the buy-in and it's always kind of a circular feedback loop when you're thinking about uh, relationships with the business and how to build a scalable solution uh, and a scalable relationship with all of them. So is that, I mean, to me, that means invest more time and effort into conversations and making sure that you're at least, even if you can't address somebody's pain point, like, you know, yeah, Uh, well, and, and, or tell them that you're not right. Like be honest with them, be open and honest. Um, that's come up a lot of, hey, I can't get to this right now, or, uh, or you're training people to scream the loudest, and whoever screams the yeah. loudest, you know, prioritization by by um, whoever screams the loudest, it doesn't work. So, um, and and have you found when you do invest more time in those communication angles that you're given more time by the other stakeholders where they will tell you what they need, but they're like, Hey, I can give you, you, you're just told, you just dumped 50 things on me. I can get to two of these. Like, let's talk through, let's be honest. And let's talk about, I can't, can I even get you to the level of, okay, you know, number two on your list, I can only get you 50% of the way there, uh, you know, or it's going to be a six month time frame. Is that still valuable to you? Oh, it is. Okay, let's move forward. Or no. Okay, the the value is in that back fifty percent half or whatever. Exactly. Like, okay, like let's let's talk through that and have an honest conversation. Make people feel seen and heard. It's it's funny how often in data all these conversations of people who are seeing things go right. It's back to the conversation, the conversation, the conversation. It's yeah, so- it's all about saying the same thing over and over again. And it, like, I'm just convinced that my entire career is going to be that. I like it. It, it is, and it, it's. It goes back to the human aspect of data, right? 
alignment is one of the hardest things to do organizationally. And we have so many ways to solve this. We could talk about management models. We could talk about uh, you know, dissemination of information. We could talk about unifying you know, what we do as work. But really what it comes down to is just making sure that we're embedded in the decision-making processes. I think that a lot of times data is seen as an afterthought because we're going to analyze the strategy that we're doing now when if we embed the importance of data, the importance of both the governance aspect and the kind of self-service analytics aspect, then we're going to see insights that are much smarter because they know the business and every business is so incredibly unique and complex that unless we have eyes on every function, we're not going to be able to create that powerful interoperable system that we need. Yeah, I think a lot of what you're talking about there is is the cohesion, right? And so much of what we do in data, especially because it's been a triage. It's been, it hasn't been, um, you know, kind of patient care. It's been, uh, you know, kind of the nurse's office of you come in and you've got a broken arm and they give you an ice pack with a, a little brown paper towel wrapped around it. You know, other countries may not have this experience versus the U.S., but, you know, okay, we're going to treat you kind of all the same way. And we're going to, we're going to try and again, treat the, the symptoms instead of let's actually talk through what are you trying to achieve? What's, yeah. what's going to help you get there? Yeah. And I think it, it also goes to like, it, it's not just, it's not just kind of the view from the executive side. It's like having, being a data professional, there is such a demand for talent in our transformational industry. People want to work on things that they feel are meaningful. And a lot of the times, you know, you you have to f- work in a business where data actually matters to work on data sets that you get to dr- like drive cool insights from. And not just leadership teams that have reports and dashboards, but like data is within the critical path to the business's success. And I think that we see frustration and turnover because, you know, you and I and people in the data community talk about this all the time. We understand the operational data plane, the analytical data plane, and the frustration to move data from one to the other to make it usable. And I think a lot of the times, you know, if you are a lower priority in the organization, if you don't have the buy-in to get what you need, it's all based on goodwill. You know, we'll do this next quarter. We'll fix this later. This isn't something that, this pain is not now. This pain comes second priority to all of the fires that we're putting out. Then you see burnout in your data team and you see exhaustion and at in the very worst case, you know, resignation to, well, I guess I'm going to deliver what I, what I should because I have to, not because I love going into work every day. And I think that getting that match and making that culture is really important to the success. Yeah. And I think it works. It leads to shadow work and it leads to all sorts of other things. And, and I think this actually transitions really, really well into one thing we had planned on talking about, which was as well the how do you think about building up momentum 
or something needed something like data mesh, right? It's very easy if you have this to, to get somebody really excited and be like, I'm going to charge forward with it. And then, you know, um, if that doesn't end up leading to exact results because they didn't have all the necessary buy-in or, or things didn't work out or, you know, oh, we reprioritize that. And so we just kind of cut it off at the knees and then it, it fails. And then those people get burnt out and they're like, we're not going to, they're never going to deal with something like, uh, you know, I talked to multiple people who said, oh, um, we can't call anything a data product internally because of, <laughs> of this or this or this, or we can't use this phrasing, or yeah. I can't use data literacy. So we have to come up with a new phrasing because that that has been a thing that burned us. So like, how do you think about measuring if, if you've got enough momentum or like building up that momentum as well? Yeah, I think that like like you measure any product, V, you have to look really carefully about who your users are and who your super users are and also who you think could be better supported. And I think a, a lot of like, again, a lot of the times the semantics of things really gets in the way of the conversation. Because most people that you're working with that are decision makers have to make so many decisions, they want things to be in really simple layman's terms because if you keep things complicated, it makes the conversation longer and it, you know you get stuck into a, a loop of, I only have 30 seconds to talk to you. How can I make those 30 seconds count? Um, a lot of the times just changing the language that we use. Like I've, I've had executives insist that it has to be data influenced and not data driven. And I, I think that taking things and translating them into the language of the domain that you're working with and personalizing every single experience to make sure that you're speaking the same language as product. You're speaking the same language as marketing. You're speaking the same language as your customer, just like you would do with tailoring your own product to your actual customers. You need to tailor your data strategy and conversations around your data strategy to your domains. You know, federated computational governance, when I say that out loud to some people, sounds like the Muppet man going, mar, 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 mar. like it's it, those three words together, even though you could break that down as a person who understands each and put them together, Having that in a casual conversation, especially a strategic conversation, gets cumbersome. So you need to be able to translate that into the language of the domains. Yeah, I've kind of talked about the unicorn farts theory, which is my my uh, strategy of anytime you're going to say data mesh to anybody outside the data team or put it in any documentation, you know, replace it with unicorn farts. People are like, why? Why would I say that? It's like you wouldn't. Um, you also don't want to say data mesh because you're you're it. And there are some organizations that are doing it and are having success with it, but it it can lead to way too deep of a conversation instead of yeah. what does this mean? Why do I care? But like exactly the so you know especially what you're talking about semantics. I I do agree that I think it should be data informed, not data driven. But I'm not super hard line about that. But just because data driven, then people think, am I going to get automated out? Exactly. It's 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 fair. It is fair. the The way that we word things is important. 
and that is why communications have to be so clear and we have to ditch the jargon. I know that you've talked about that in other ones of your episodes, but ditching the jargon around data is so important. <laughs> There's only so many water features that we can incorporate before we run out, you know? We could talk about the data Shrek at any point if you want, which is a purposeful swamp. And then we can talk about how like that, that that's the thing that I want to coin and things. But um, so like, but how do you think about uh, you? You've, I'm sure everybody in data has that has been doing it for more than six months has had a failed implementation. And I'm not asking you to recount a story, but um how do you think about measuring? Do I have the buy-in? Do I have the momentum? Do I have the the thing? Or is it is it kind of a little bit of faith? And you know, how how much of it is is faith versus how much of it is kind of okay? I've ensured that I've got this. You know, you've got to make the leap at some point. It's not a smooth path all the way uh, over. You've got to kind of make the jump. Yeah. But are are you just kind of running up and jumping and hoping that it's not you know fifty feet across oh. and that it's only five or? Man, you should never jump and hope. Um, oh, you, you need, you need, like, you need to embed yourself within decision-making relationships. You you have to have one-on-ones with the people that drive the balance sheet. You need to make sure that not only are you taking a bottom-up approach and understanding the really specific in the weeds problems. But you are constantly checking in on, you know, how how are you feeling that this is going? Not how are you feeling about, you know, how you think this should be perceived or what outcome you think this should drive. How are you feeling about the conversations we're having today? Like, I think a lot of the times, you know, people don't talk about when they feel uncomfortable until there's an opportunity to back out. And having that communication with someone early on is hard when you're not the number one priority talking to them. However, you don't want some sort of situation where you get two weeks before the big meeting to decide, you know, this, how the implementation is going. And then suddenly you're met with kind of a shock of, you know, we don't think this is very, we don't think that this is going at the speed that we want we aren't seeing the results we want, you know, we're going to circle back with this and talk about it in a quarter. And a lot of the times you say, you know, that that's great. Thank you. We'll come and come back to that. Um, Unless you're having those one-on-one conversations and not just within a group of people, you're not going to be able to kind of tease out the actual why, you know, why are you hesitant? What about this are you afraid of? And understanding that it is pivotal to to being to having those relationships with your stakeholders. And, and I like that that constant check. And I think about when people talk about successful relationships, and I yeah. and I find it so weird how little we take from like. Well, then again, I don't know that uh, all that many people have like super successful, <laughs> you know, uh, personal relationships and things. But you know, you look at. at like successful marriages and all this stuff, we should be looking at that research and applying it to, um, to how we actually interact with each other. You know, the whole like yeah. love languages, but you shouldn't be using touch as one of your love, love languages when you're <laughs> at work. That's, that's a no, no, let's not go there. But, um, that we like need to be checking in with each other and need to be like, 
as you don't get to a breaking point, you get to a point of there's a stress point, and then you can say, okay, like, should we pivot? Should we make a slight change? Or, you know, do you trust me? Will you give me the yeah. trust to get to here? And oh. that you you have that that back and forth. And and I think so. I I think what you're kind of saying here. I don't want to put words into your mouth. So tell me if if this is wrong. But you shouldn't. You shouldn't be like, I have a sudden shove. You know, when I talk about, do you have enough energy built up, enough momentum to get the ball rolling and keep it rolling? You're talking about like almost just the constant pressure and you're getting more and more pressure put on. And then as soon as it starts rolling, it's just really easy because you've got enough constant forward because you've already backed it up enough to to kind of move it forward. And stuff is still going to fail. That stuff happens, but like you have a much better chance. Is is that how you kind of picture it? Yeah, exactly. Like, I I think that change management in general is hard. Like, I I can't remember what the statistic is, it is, but something like 90% of change management initiatives fail. And they fail because it is hard to get a group of people to stop doing one thing and start doing another, especially when it's not their number one priority. And, And once you're able to get that momentum, and to keep that inertia, you know, it, it gets a lot easier because you go into this scaling mode. You go into, you know, maintaining relationships at scale and building relationships around the organization as the organization scales. And you're more focused on being a strategic partner rather than being a data order taker. And, and that is really important to be brought to the table to make decisions. Yeah. And, and I think I, I kind of want to circle this back in as well to something that we had talked about in the pre-call and something you talked about a little bit earlier about a lot of times when we are talking about, um, you know, this was an insight you made, so this isn't from me, but um, that a lot of people know that there is pain, but they don't know exactly where the pain is coming from. Uh, and so yeah. like, extracting this and saying, why is this a pain or how is this a pain? You know, um, it's, it, I use the requirement of real time. What does real time actually mean to you? Like, what is it? And that you say, okay, what, like, what are you actually trying to solve? Why are you doing this? Like, how do you think about getting people to realize that there is a, a pain and it's not just the symptom, but it's like, let's talk about cause or let's talk about where, what is actually, you know, our data is crap. Okay. What does that mean? Like what, why is it bad? Why can't you use it? Like, why is it that it's not coming in soon enough? Uh, is it, you know, whatever. And, and yes, we're, we're both having issues right now with uh, pets trying to make uh, appearances. So that's a, a little insight into uh, my dog is trying to, to get pets right now as well. So, um, yeah. but like, how, how do you think about getting them to a place of where they can actually figure out what is the pain if they just say I'm hurting versus like, okay, let's get specific. I think, I think it really depends on the level of technicality you want to go into with your stakeholder. And I also think that while it is important to talk about the what, it is important to talk about the existence of an operational data plane and why the raw data that we have is not 
the insight that you want and actually here is the feasible time to insight and all of the steps that it goes through and here's why we can't deliver that within two weeks and not only is it important to talk about all of the steps and the you know really careful life cycle that data goes through before it becomes a usable insight for the business but also like why every part is connected and i think that when you're talking about you know what the problem is it is important to talk about how expansive the time to insight is And it's more important to talk about that in the framing of here's all of the places that it could go wrong. And so if we fix one part of this labyrinth, we could spend the rest of time, you know, unraveling these problems rather than taking a step back and looking at, you know, how we view this as kind of this domain-oriented, decentralized system. But yeah, a, a lot of the times it's it's making sure that you can articulate that on a level that you're speaking the same vocabulary as the person you're talking to. So people who are more technical may have more questions about you know, the actual data pipelines, people that are less technical might want to talk to you a little bit more about the visualization. However, making sure that you communicate all of the different planes on which this happens is really important. Have you found any good uh, frameworks or, or rubrics or whatever for actually having those conversations go well? Because I know yeah. a lot of people I talk to, it's okay, I, I try and go talk to them and they don't listen and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, and you're talking past each other instead of with each other and all that fun stuff. It's, I mean, yeah. is it just like going in and saying, I'm here to just listen to what you have to say. So you're going to, yeah. your, your job here is to, is to respond to questions and to share what, what you're actually feeling. This is a therapy session and there yeah. might be some action items from it, but. Exactly. I, I think, I think it's, it's really important to let them come to that conclusion. You know, you want to talk about like, again, we're going to get Tableau for the organization. That's going to solve our data problems. Everyone will be able to analyze the data. Okay. Well here, how about, how about I talk to you about this? Let's look at you know, this specific example, this, and and you kind of can go in and talk about, you know, even if we make this really beautiful, do you understand what a five, nine, six code is on everything that says event number 12? Like you have to kind of take that. And again, people hate looking at raw data. And, and if you kind of get them a little uncomfortable and, you know, hey, hey, you're new. What would you do with this? Oh, well, let's come to the same conclusion together that we can't use this because it was created six years ago with a standard that we never wrote down. And now, even though we have, you know, gigabytes and terabytes and how many bytes of all of this data, the volume doesn't matter the actual insight that we can create with this and the actual outcome that we can drive for your business is what you're looking for, right? You are looking for that insight. You are looking for that outcome. You are not looking for 
a mess. Like <laughs> you have, you have pain and here's exactly why. And help, kind of having that circular conversation is, is what you need. And something that, that uh, I, I, I mentioned it a lot because Marisa Fish, her episode really made me rethink this about we don't say nearly often enough, what is the intention of this information exchange, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Am I sharing raw data for you to generate your own insights? Am I sharing the insight or am I sharing the insight and the so what? And most yep. of the times the the data people are like, I'm going to share with you the raw data because you want to you want to dig through it and you want to do this and this and this. Yep. And the person consuming is like, I just want the freaking insight. And and or somebody says, I'm going to give them the insight. And that person, you know, you think about execs, they want a so what. So what I, yep. you know, you go in and you say, hey, here is the FYI. Here is what I'm taking from it. Here's what I would think next steps are. But what do you think? Right. Yeah. And, and so then you give them your so what, and then they can agree with it or not, but you've given them the insight. But like, we just don't have near enough of that. Like, let's pop up to a higher level. What are we trying to achieve here? Right. What, why are we having this conversation? <laughs> And, and you have to have that so what conversation so many times with people that are so overwhelmed by a thousand things specific to their domain. Of course, it's going to get re-legislated. Of course it is because it, it is owned by a domain who is so entrenched in the so what of their daily job that they can't think about data for the whole org. Like you need to be able to constantly defend that and constantly check in. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it just kind of always comes back to communication as much as people want it to be tooling. <laughs> no, it, what it, it is. It, and that's the thing is like, even with all of this analysis, you know, without literacy, all the analysis is as expensive and time consuming, but that's all it is. Even if it is the most insightful thing in the entire world, if I don't know how to use it to take some actionable measure, it's useless to me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm quoting you on that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, without literacy, all your analytics is is expensive. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I, I love that because it really does ring true. Um, so one thing that you had brought up in the pre-call that I think uh, is, is a really interesting insight that I haven't really heard before is about execs being really scared of when we talk about sharing data and how how that could be misused or how it could be like, you know, I, I say this, especially in banks, you know, um, I've talked to multiple people on the, on the podcast that have focused in financial services. And the second you say, okay, we're going to have data discovery and everybody, you know, you're going to put this on the yeah. data map and everybody can get access to it. And they're like, nope. We're not doing that, right? Versus, yeah. oh, I know how you're going to use it. I can share a bit more of the data. I can, I can tune yeah. it a little bit more to your use case. So, like, what what do you think are the biggest challenges as to where execs are afraid of of kind of data being shared widely? Like, what what have you seen? How have you gotten worked with them around that stuff? You know, I think that the knee jerk reaction of any human being, let alone an executive of the unknown, is fear. It's 
really scary to do things that you don't know the consequences of and that you don't have control over. And I think that that leads to governance policies that are overly general and not specifically tailored to the type of data and domain that or the, the type of domain that the data belongs to. Do I think that you should like, and again, coming up with strategies for every area of the business is a lot of time and it's a lot of thought. And I think it's easier to hire a governance person and, you know, assume I'm going to hire the best. They're going to handle this and, and we're going to go on and we're going to make sure that only the information that makes our company looks good, looks good is out there. Um, when in reality, that fear goes away when people empowered with data use it to actually grow your business. I think a lot of it is is just working to get small wins and build trust in order to slowly open the gate. And I think in a lot of ways, that's how you have to approach transformations like this because of the gravity and effects that data that is incorrect could bring to your business. It is like GDPR fines are not fun. You think about like uh, reporting revenue numbers that are incorrect is going to be detrimental for your business. And so in order to do this, we need to apply federated governance. We need to have governance that is specific to domains in a lot of ways. Like, no, HR data should not be shared with the rest of the company. It, we should practice masking and we should make sure that we implement best practices around governance to be able to have the correct uh, you know, type of user view the data that they need to to do their job. But a lot of that is infrastructure and it is time and it is mostly making that a priority and making information for your employees a priority because without empowering your employees you're doing a disservice to your business you know you are losing out on opportunities in every area of your business well and, which and is scarier than information in my opinion yeah. And, and that burnout and that, I, you know, chasing down the same things over and over, it just feels like Groundhog's Day. It feels like, yeah. you know, okay, uh, I tried to get access to this and then I had to ask, you know, these three people and they all said, talk to each other. That's been my, my favorite. Yeah. Where you say you talk to A and they say talk to B, you yeah. talk to B, they say talk to C, you talk to yeah. C, they say talk to A. And then you, you put an email of all three of them on and say, hey, you all like... <laughs> It's not that you're giving me the runaround. It's that you honestly think it is this, but exactly. nobody owns this. Like this isn't this isn't that you're. I, I think that you're doing this uh, maliciously. It's that I think we got a problem here, and then exactly. everyone goes, "Not not mine. Not not my monkey. Not, not my, my circus." You're you're new. If you don't have a solution to this problem, don't bring up this problem. And you're like, yeah. oh oh no, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jamat kind of said that around uh, with data mesh. She was like, I, I, when you come at the, the paradigm level, 
you can't just yeah. say this is a problem. She's like, I have to come with a solution because otherwise yeah. all I'm doing is pointing out that the emperor has no clothes versus coming to the emperor and going, hey, hey, wouldn't this be a nice robe to put over your your beautiful yeah. clothes? <laughs> and it, it's also hard because, you know, even when you come with the solution, that solution is going to be faced with uh, scrutiny as, as it should be. And, and you need to make sure like it, the solution is not simple going forward and changing the way your organization is structured, the expensive systems that you have to run your legacy data. Like it's, it's all, it's a beast of a problem. And I think in a lot of ways, grounding in one aspect to start and then moving into, actually, this is a paradigm shift. You know, like you, you could start somewhere and just gain trust and then slowly but surely get sign on and continue to get buy-in and sign on for those bigger initiatives. Well, and that, that I mean, that transitions literally directly into the last thing that we were planning on talking about was like, how do we break data mesh up into pieces we can actually, one, discuss to yeah. conceptualize and three implement because you know even the unicorn farts is about not being able to discuss it as if it was for one you know oh we're doing data mesh well what is data mesh so data mesh has four principle and it's like yeah. you're talking to like a random business analyst at best when you're having that conversation you're talking to some subject matter expert you're in a chemicals yeah. company and it's like somebody that's an engineer around you know chemicals or a mechanical engineer and they're like exactly. i don't want to hear this right like no. this doesn't matter to my job so how, how do you think about breaking that down but also one issue that i want to bring in that people have seen is if you don't do a full thin slice of like all of the four pillars at once the four principles if you only mm-hmm. you get really far along your governance then mm-hmm. everything else is cracking and you've built all this momentum and then you're trying to to keep that you know in place while you're trying to reach behind you and start to pull the thing forward and yep. you know like how do you think about that and again I'm not, I'm not asking you to solve everything I'm not asking you to solve data mesh for everybody but like how do you start to think about that or what have you seen that's worked well oh man i mean like as always making sure you have champions in your domain that are there to give you requirements constantly, you know, that like treating it like a product and treating your uh, stakeholders like customers is, is number one. I think that like, while you should be doing all four pillars in tandem and while that is what you should be doing, if self-service lags, that's okay in the beginning. I think that as long as you are prioritizing what you have to self or what you what you uh, you know have for people to self serve as being the highest quality, and you are working to continuously improve your organization around the other four pillars, that one can come after not far after i don't think that like again you can't hold off on self-service because the beauty of the data mesh is empowering people around your company to make decisions with data at scale 
But self-service, if you go too quick, is the first thing that will be a detriment to your initiative. It's it's a huge source of, of tech debt that I'm seeing yeah. because people um, solved for the use case or they went yeah. to, you either started with the people that are really, really not data literate and you're trying to bring yeah. them up to speed. And so then it's not like every single time you uh, bring on a new team, you basically have to build a new platform for that new capability level. Exactly. You know, you start at kind of the lowest exactly. capability level and then, okay, now we're trying to bring... Or you go exact opposite and you go for the people who are super, super data literate and you're building them the most amazing platform. And then you go and yep. you try and put it in front of somebody that's that knows their stuff, but like is yeah. doing mostly stuff in, in SQL at best. And they're like, what is this? No, no, I don't want to fine tune my my Kubernetes cluster that is yeah. running my, you know, my streaming, yeah. my Kafka or my Pulsar or whatever. No, I don't exactly. want to do that. I'm a software engineer. I don't want to deal with the, the, or, you know, very, very fine tuning the, the spark, um, uh, you know, query engine and things like that or what, no, I don't want to do that. So yeah. yeah. Like, have you seen that there's like, when you think about the bounded context, almost of the work that you want to do when you're thinking about step one of a thousand, right. When you think about a data mesh journey, do you think about there's a, is there too small of a slice, too big of a slice? Like how, I, yeah, again, I'm not trying to get you to answer the whole question, but like, how have you seen this work when you think about kind of t-shirt sizing or whatever, when you yeah. think about agile and tickets and stuff like that? I, I think it's also interesting. Like I, I come from a marketing world. My I started my career in marketing and the marketing domain, if you think about it this way, is a really hard challenge because of that, because your data is everywhere. Your data is not only with it, like marketing data, if you're thinking about it truly holistically, you have your demand generation data that's based off of your CRM. But like, really, if you're thinking about your ideal customer, if you're thinking about, you know, your market, you have external systems and you have internal systems. And on top of it, marketers are usually uh, creative people like there's like technical like there are many people like martech is a very respected domain within marketing but you know most marketers aren't super technical so you're trying to take their vision and take you know the creativity and then find this you know match with data and translate all of the insights that you've got to help them do their job better and help them be more creative. However, at the same time, like it gets muddled because it's so dependent on your product domain being good and you having a really good idea of the usage within your customer. It's so dependent on your sales motion, uh, you know, and your sales processes being really tight and that handoff being good and you trusting the data from that. Like, And then on top of it, you have to explain, you know, all of the other domains data is actually making ours bad. And, you know, we have this huge spend with Google because we have to win the Google game and we have to be able to beat out our competitors in that way. But there's not that understanding from other domains. And so I think that 
you know, trying to take use cases in one domain and just proving that it is so interconnected to others is so important to be able to evangelize data mesh because it's not about like marketing's problems are not marketing's problems. They are the entire business's problems. They are your external system. You're buying so much data. Like it, it is a really complicated and interconnected system. Yeah, well, and, and if I were to extract and pop up to a, a higher level about what you were saying and the through line of that, I think is look for the use cases, like yeah. find the use cases instead exactly. of find the, we're going to create the self-service platform versus yep. like, exactly. hey, we're going to get you to where you need to go, but we're going to look for how this applies. Jen Tedrow's episode um, was really, really good because she was talking about, we went and we interviewed everybody about all their pain points. And then we said, what's the through lines? What? How is this actually relevant through all of these things? Because we're it's so easy to focus on solving the problem that's in front of me versus, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's the, the um, you know, I don't mean to be pedantic about people, but, you know, it's like the, okay, um, you know, you child can have one cookie now or in five minutes you can have two cookies. And it's like exactly. 65% of, of cookie of children are like, I want the cookie now. Yeah. And know. so like, how do we, how do we think about, and, and, you know, how do we, as humans, we want to help each other, right? Like that's yeah. some people don't, but <laughs> we can point to a yeah. lot of obvious people who don't, but in general we do like, that's part of being in a society. That's part of working together. And so if we want to help each other, we want to address that problem. And the fastest way to address that problem is to directly address that problem, but it becomes quickly unsustainable and it's not a long-term solution and all these things. So a lot of what you're talking about is just talking to people constantly, getting that constant flow of information. Don't only go and talk to them when there's a major problem, be like, Hey, like I'm checking in with you. Not it's not that every single conversation has to have a huge agenda to it or huge even output of like, okay, I'm going to go do X or Y. It's like we're just exchanging context or, or building mm-hmm. our relationship or things like that. So yeah, yeah. I, there there's just been a lot of I think interesting through lines that you're that kind of pop up when you even within a conversation like this, popping up to a uh, okay, let's talk about what did we end up uh constantly yeah. hitting back on. It's so I think I think all of this, if I wanted to say anything to, you know, recap is just all of this results in friction when you're trying to scale. And maybe you don't feel these bottlenecks now, but when you try to scale out your organization, if you do not prioritize data and the way that you manage the people, the processes, and the tech behind data, you will feel more friction. It will only result in a positive feedback loop of pain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you kind of answered my my, uh, first general kind of wrap-up question of we've covered a whole lot. Is there anything that you did want to wrap up on beyond the, uh, you know, kind of focus on the data and, and, and think about where you're going to go with this. And that, you know, if you're successful, it's going to yeah. bite you in the butt if you didn't invest in this. Is there anything else that you'd want to kind of wrap up or anything we didn't cover that you wanted to? I, I think that in general, you know, we're making a really interesting step 
toward a transformation in an industry that is constantly transformational. And I think that it's exciting to work in data at this time. It's exciting to work in software at this time. And it's exciting to see, you know, what other use cases and industries we're going to be able to extend this to. I, I think that, you know, believing in the transformational power of data is important to every industry. And I just think that we're going to see that continue to rise and that momentum to continue to follow through. Yeah. Well, and, and thank you for putting it that way instead of every every company needs to be data driven. It's like there are no, certain companies no, that don't. Like- it's it is you. I think that data is your superpower when you want it to be. But they're like, we are able to get through our life and we have ha- we have done business for so long without data. Like it, it, it is only a sharpening competitive advantage. It is not it, it is not going to make or break. It is there to help you be better. It is there to help you unlock your full potential. Yeah. Like People that. are going to make decisions your- every day without data. Like if we sat there and we needed data for every decision, we'd never get anything done. Yeah. However, I, when you start to do things at scale, that is when precision becomes important. Yeah, I, I use the lunch example. And if you're ordering lunch for a lot of people, you should probably look at, you know, what are the reviews of this or what is the cost of this versus, you know, hey, I'm going to, to lunch with my friend. We're just going to walk down the street like. You know, that doesn't need to be a data-driven decision, right? Like no. it, it can be, you can add that to, to potentially find out what restaurants are rated well and, you know, whatever, yeah. but yeah. Um, well, Alexa, this has been such a, a fun, uh, awesome conversation. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would like to follow up with you. Where's kind of the best yeah. place and what, what would you kind of want people following up about anything specific? Yeah. You know, follow me on LinkedIn, follow me on Medium, uh, reach out to me. I, I'm always happy to chat. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And we'll drop links to that stuff in the show notes for people to make it easy on them. But again, um, thank you so much for taking the time here. It's been uh, a really fun conversation. And as well, thank you out everyone out there for uh, listening. Yeah. And thank you, Scott. I really appreciate this. And this has been such an amazing conversation. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Alexa Westlake. Senior Data Analyst at Okta. You can find a link to her LinkedIn and her Medium in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around 
your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Thank mm-hmm. you.